Ladies and gentlemen, we're here for the Humor and Mistakes podcast, where each week we have a guest on our show and we talk about mistakes, mishaps, and missteps that they've made throughout life. Uh, this here, this week, I'm here with Wafik. Uh, I always pronounce your last name wrong. <laughs> what, is, what is it? Wafik Zarif. Wafik Zarif. Um, so we hope to get some of uh, uh, Wafik's uh, wisdom along the way, and he'll just talk to us about life. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing, dude? I'm great, man. It's great to be here. You know, I've been uh, looking forward to this for a while. Uh, me too, man. When I first gave you the idea and just told you what I was trying to do with this, you like, jumped on it i don't know if it was, it was because you made a lot of mistakes in the past or like <laughs> yeah well you know i've um i i you know at the age i am in now i realized that i uh, started off ruining my life for this very purpose <laughs> this very day and time you you predicted the future and you were like yes. if i mess up a lot now i'll be able to yes in the future Talk about it and teach people a lot of life lessons. Yes. When my mother would, would yell at me for doing something really stupid or bad or having to bail me out of jail or something, I, I, I thought to myself, it, there was a reason for that. It was for this moment in time that you are here <laughs> at this jail facility to pick me up. Okay. So before we get started with that that story, I do want to hear about you, your jail, because I, I know you now and that just seems so far from what I know now, let's just talk about who you are. Like, if I was sitting beside you at the airport, or you were at a, on a plane, and you just had to tell me about yourself, you know, what mm-hmm. would you tell me? Well, I would tell you that I am, I am a human being who um, <laughs> I'm a conservative liberal, okay. who has a really old school point of view, moderate liberal. Yeah, yeah. Cons- I like conservative liberal okay. because it's kind of it's kind of an oxymoron there, okay. you know. But I find myself in the middle on a lot of things. I'm an easygoing guy. I love comedy. I get into a lot of music, uh, and I'd say I am. Um, I'm not extreme on anything. I am. Uh, I'm somebody who believes, who walks by faith, and I have. I take the approach that a lot of the old school principles that people have in life, like work hard and stuff. Work hard and stuff, and a lot of the old school stuff people have, like, um, hey, you know, why don't you get married or, um, you know, uh, raise some children or something like that. Um, the reason they had those principles for so long is because they actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with that. Like, I think a lot of times, like, I hear people our age give, like, relationship advice. And I'm like, no one's qualified to give a relationship advice until they're in their 60s. Because I don't know what what you're doing now. How do I know that's going to be effective? Like, you may have been in a relationship for five years, but the stuff you're doing now may make y'all break up at year 15. Right, Like, right. So you can't give me relationship advice. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. What made you who you are today? Like, tell me about yourself growing up. Were you a class clown? Well, I was I was not a class clown. I was far from a class clown, believe it or not. I was the uh, quiet kid who nobody liked, who got picked no, on. No or, one liked you? Believe it or not, nobody liked You know, the sexy, confident person that you see in front of me. I, I am looking at him. You're yes. in a very, very light blue shirt. It, it, it glows. It fits your skin tone. Yeah, yeah Carolina colors. Okay. Man, you know, Right next to campus, you okay. know, uh, when in Rome. Fair enough. Hey, man, you can't be caught wearing dark blue around here. They're no, like, I hate that color. And they're like, they're like gangs. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, I'm a Carolina fan. I hate Duke. Uh, fair as enough. As crazy as it sounds. 
But um, I was the quiet kid who got picked on, or I believe the word now is bullied, growing up, uh, just because I was different. Um, I didn't really uh, know anybody where I went to school. You know, I, I would say the first thing you should probably know about me is probably the last thing that I tell you, and that is that I'm Muslim. And the reason I, I don't tell people that, you know, I don't introduce myself as, hi, I'm Wafiq, here's my card, I'm Muslim, is because I like to let people get to know me and form their own opinion about me based on my dealings with them and my behavior or the fun we have or the interesting times we have. And then later on, let them find out that I'm Muslim because when I, uh, these in this time, if you tell somebody you're Muslim, they have a preconceived notion of what a Muslim is supposed to be. So I like to um, let them get to know me. And uh, a lot of times that what that does is it breaks any negative stereotype they have of a Muslim. You know, it's like, wow, you're Muslim, but I like you, you know, <laughs> It's it's the same. I, I do that at work, man. I'll uh, I'll never tell people what color I am, and we I do a lot of on phone on the phone stuff, and then they'll meet me in person. I'm like, oh, I think black people are good now. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you're so responsible at work. Yes, <laughs> you speak so well. <laughs> oh my god, I, I have to get rid of my 20 years of hatred of black people because of you. <laughs> I know. So, do you think bullying shaped you at all? Yes, it did. It, it did, most definitely. Um, when I was, I'd say I was, let me see, I was about seven years old. My parents got divorced, and I was, uh, my dad went up to Virginia, and my little brother and I, we stayed down in South Carolina with my mom, and we went from uh, where she was raised, Florence, South Carolina. You know, she moved back there after she had me. I was born in New York, then she went back to Florence. Then we went over to Columbia, South Carolina. And my parents got divorced, so I never really had my father in my life with me consistently in the way that people think of a two-parent household. I knew who he was and I knew where he was, but I never really had much of a relationship with him. You is, know, that, is that something all, like, 75% of black men relate to? Like, I'll just, I'll just be in the studio, I'm like, yo, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, I could just go like into a random storm, like, "Yo, dude, you probably don't know your dad, do you?" He'd be like, "Nah, man." And then we relate, like, <laughs> you know, right now there's some black men living, listening to this in their cars, thinking, "All right, okay, get to the interesting part. We've heard this story before." <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, you're. This is a walk in the park. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you know, um, they got divorced, and I started uh, living with my mom, and we were growing up. You know, we it, it just was what it was, and we lived in the capital of South Carolina. So things were a lot more metropolitan compared to the more rural areas. And uh, then my mom met another guy. You know, I remember when we first met him, uh, all she told us was that her cousin said, um, you know, there's going to be this guy in town and he needed a place to stay. So my brother and I just thinking, all right, cool. I guess he's going to crash on the couch or whatever. You know, I guess he's in town for a little bit visiting. So then he came in, we just introduced ourselves, and it was like, cool, I mean, you're going to be leaving on Sunday. <laughs> but then he just kept coming back. And then next thing I know, she's sitting us down telling us, hey, uh, I'm going to be marrying this guy. So now I'm thinking, whoa, I got to get used to another man. And they got married when I was eight. So I was used to being having the three of us there, my brother and my mom, for two years. And so when they got married, he had big designs and plans on building his own house and building his own restaurant and a community center, and he needed land to do that. So to get land, we had to move into the country. 
where he could do that, you know, seven and a half acres of land. And I was fine where I was. I had my friends already in place. My support system is there. We lived in a place where we had sidewalks and grocery stores and stuff like that. And you're talking about moving out to the country. I don't know. And then they took us out there. They just uprooted us and plopped us into the more um, rural county of South Carolina. In South Carolina. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned a lot. You know, the country kids were different from the city kids. You know, I was used to the city kids. Country kids were a lot different. I was um, reading on a more advanced level than a lot of people. And everything was just so different. I didn't know anybody there. So, you know, uh, I was the outsider, so I got bullied and picked on because of that. Do you think it helped at all, though? And, and the reason I ask, I, don't, I know it sounds like a dumb question, but, like, I got bullied a bit, too. And honestly, as I reflect back on it, I look at it in a positive light because, like, I used to tell the bullies, as long as you don't put your hands on me, I'm okay. So now as we get – now that I'm older, um, when people say stuff or somebody will tell me something that someone said about me, it just, like – brushes off because like i'm i'm used to this like so mm-hmm. it's also kind of made me kind of kind of a negative light because when an adult tells me something that someone else said about them and they're upset like me and my ex-girlfriend actually argued about that i was like you're an adult like you shouldn't <laughs> care what people think about you anymore yeah like i just yeah. can't i can't i have a hard time when an adult tells me that someone hurt their feelings based off words yes exactly i feel totally <laughs> i side with you i think you won that argument like, i oh, wish really? i was there to hold up the scorecard okay but i'm the same way you know um and that's the positive aspect of it it did toughen me up and it made me made me very strong but at the same time, I looking back on it, I do appreciate it. I know I didn't like it at the time, but I do appreciate it now. However, I do see where it affected me in subtle ways of negativity as it pertains to my outlook on life. And I think that that manifested itself later on and got me into some trouble with some things. I became a very dark person, you know, kind of uh, mentally twisted somewhat. Like, what do you mean? Well, um, <laughs> I, I got a little violent. You know, okay. I got I got a little violent because of uh, the treatment that I, I went through. It just it made me really cold and um, almost black hearted in a sense. You, you know, had an icebox where your heart used to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, some shout out to Omarion. <laughs> looking back on it, man, that was some it was it's kind of scary, man, for for a kid in the fifth grade to be daydreaming in class about um uh, I won't say killing, but about doing some really serious bodily harm to some of my peers who were sitting three feet away from me. And I'm staring at uh, I'm staring at a butter knife on a table that my teacher is using to spread a cream cheese on her bagel, thinking, you know, I really could get that knife and possibly just, you know, cut his throat right now. Well, like you're so you're so far from that now. Like, that's just so hard for me to imagine. Um, because like now, cause I, I want the people to have a holistic perspective of you before we start getting into that. Cause I don't want them to think that yeah. you're just some violent <laughs> dude yeah. now. Like, like, Oh my goodness. Like we're not going to let Wafik around here anymore. Yeah. Um, so now d- describe yourself now. Now I am, I'm a funny guy. I am, you, you uh, are, I'm very level headed and I'm very calm. I'm very calm and I'm very patient. I get a lot of my mother's patience. I'm very, that's how I would describe myself now. Level-headed, calm, patient, and very real. I don't like, I don't like taking public opinion for the sake of simply taking public opinion. I like to form my own opinion about things and actually think and look for something beneath the surface. 
Yeah, and, and I would agree. You're very funny. You When we first met, it was at Comedy Works, and you actually came up and introduced yourself, and then we just like had like a just a good conversation uh, about <laughs> some of the projects you were working on, because I know you have your radio show. Uh, it's called... Uh, don't 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 make me misquote, but it's something boys. We the mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the uh, good old boys. Good old boys. I was about to say we them boys. Like, yeah, the good uh, old boys radio network. And so you seem so calm. So it just seems like so far from where you were, from what you're describing. Um, I want you to tell anything else you think people should know about you. Then I want to get into. You know the mistakes in your your angry phase and your and your butter knife phase. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm a pretty loving person. You know, I really like people. I like to study people. Um, I, I like knowing everything I can about people. I was always into history growing up, history because I like knowing where different civilizations came from, and I like knowing why we are the way we are right now. And a lot of times it was because of something that happened a thousand years ago and i like to pinpoint that exact moment in time which led to the uh, things being the way they are now and i love um biology just because i love the human body i like knowing what makes us i'm big into science and and understanding why people are the way they are right now okay okay so that is wafik for you so now let's talk about by the way i want to say i just saw your watch as you were talking you were doing some hand motion and i like your watch man oh, what, thank you man. what, what thank is you. it thank you this is you know what i get a lot of com- compliments on this watch and i have two more i have a brown one and i have a black one and people look at it and they say whoa they either say is that an apple watch no that's way too fancy to be an apple watch man that's a nice watch man where'd you get that from i know it's expensive i got this watch from the dakota kiosk in the uh, Town Center Mall in Cary, North <laughs> Carolina, for 50 bucks. And I just said, I had no watches at the time, so I bought all three in different colors so I can, you know, wear them with different outfits. And it, it just goes to show you that it's possible to ball on a budget, which is what I'm doing right now. Watches change the game, man. I started getting into watches in college. I, I use World of Watches. You should check that out. It's yeah. a website. Um, you get... Watch is very, very cheap because I, I, apparently, I did not know this, watches go in and out of style. So, mm-hmm. like, you get watches out of, and I put in quotation, style, mm-hmm. and they're really cheap. And watches change the game, man. I started wearing watches. I go to the club. Girls be like, mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. you, dude. Mm-hmm. I see you. I feel you. I see you. I feel you, you. <laughs> man. Look, I am a student of shopping out of season. I go <laughs> straight to the outlet mall in yeah. the summertime. Let me get all three of these leather jackets. Exactly. <laughs> go to TJ Maxx and Marshalls. It's a little bit worn. So, you know, yep. like, we know the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about um, your angry phase. Uh Um, Describe what your like your vision and your who you were at that time and why you were so angry. Well, my favorite superhero is Batman because I related so much to Bruce Wayne. He's depressed, by the way. That's that's (laughs) where I was. You know, I've always been a Batman guy. I don't really care much for Superman. I think he's a Boy Scout. But when I looked at Batman, I would see myself in the character of Batman and also in the Joker, because I think mentally there were some things going on in my head that were very simple, similar to uh, the Joker, you know, uh, humor in, and violent at the same time. So, uh, you know, not having my dad there as much as I would have liked to have had him and not being able to, in my mind, telling myself, well, the reason why I don't have the shoes that are popular right now 
is because my mom can't afford them. But if I had my dad here, he both of them together would be able to afford me these shoes and I wouldn't get picked on so much by people. And and, uh, you know, that's what I would tell myself. And and uh, a lot of that led back to not having him. But then, you know, a lot of it was just I was different. Nobody knew me. And uh, I was looked upon as a weakling. And a lot of times people would want to prey upon the weakling. So. So not having your dad around affected you. Do you think that um, do you think that you were glamorizing it a little bit like that would have been the cure to everything him being around? Or do you think that you needed a father figure? I think that I was glamorizing it at that time because at the time I wanted a Nintendo. <laughs> my, my mom just couldn't. Then I wanted a Sega Genesis. She just couldn't afford it. So uh, I thought that I wasn't cool because I didn't have these things. You know, but later on, when I got to high school, I started noticing there were some things in life that I figured, hmm, you know, having a father around or a father figure to explain some things really would have uh, helped me, especially uh, before I went on the path, which would lead to, you know, arrest records and stuff like that. <laughs> So let's talk. Let's talk about that a bit, because uh, you know, not having a dad is hard. Um, so when did you? What? When was your first like real mess up? Like you? Because before, like having the thoughts is one thing, but when did you first really mess up? My first mess up, I would say I got into a fight, and how old was I? Whatever age you're in, when you are in the uh, eighth grade. Yeah. Oh, mom was, was seven. I got yeah. in a fight in seven. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. Before that, I'd been in fights, but I just wasn't fighting back. <laughs> Did, <laughs> why weren't you fighting back? I was just afraid. You know, um, I got I've always been into martial arts and Bruce Lee, anything with Kung Fu. I was self-taught, you know, from the time I was in the second grade. I remember reading books on Kung Fu and martial arts and stuff like that. I would emulate moves I saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles do. Oh, so, shout out to yeah. Michelangelo. <laughs> then my mom actually got me into some formal training with the guy. So I started learning things as part of self-defense, which can be very, um, very damaging when you really know what you are doing. So I would get pushed around by guys who were bigger than me or guys who just wanted to pick on me. And believe it or not, I still remember the names of every single person who uh, picked on me uh, to this day. But um, uh, I was afraid because I knew how to really hurt somebody, and I was afraid of actually using that knowledge because once you do, there wouldn't be any turning back. So you were actually so kind that somebody would try to hurt you, and because you knew that you could kick their ass, you didn't. Like, you didn't want to do it. Not. It wasn't that I knew I could kick their ass. It was that I knew... That if I hit this person back, where I was from, you didn't fight anybody for one day. There were no such things as one-on-one -on -one fights or one-day fights. It was, if you fight this guy, his cousins are going to come jump into the fight, right? Oh, without and, a doubt. And this guy is the bully. Everybody knows him, and he's running the whole school. So if you hit him back, he, his people are going to come for you that day and then every day after that until you are completely destroyed your spirit is broken or your body is broken so because of that i would think to myself if i defend myself the way i want to there's no turning back from that i'm going to have to kill this guy 
Oh, and and you're right because I had that in my high school where there was a gang in our high school, and if you beat, so you, if you got into a fight with them and you, you lost, you were good. If you got into a fight with a member of them and you won, then you're getting jumped. Yeah. Like that, that's it. Everyone knew it. You didn't mess with any. And there, and there was this one guy who was the weakest one, and he probably knows who he is. Um, if he ever listens to this, he probably won't. But he was the weakest one in the whole gang. But he started the most trouble, and he always was messing with someone. And you would be like, I could, I could destroy you. And but yeah. if you mess with them, it was over. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're done. Yeah. So I, I relate to that. Um, so you, you got into this fight, describe like what happened during the fight. Well, and then I, I have a funny fight story. For <laughs> okay. <you. laughs> we all have the funny fight stories. Well, I was at a baseball park. It was, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's still named the same thing, but it was Blythewood Park. It was Blythewood, South Carolina. All the little league teams played ball there. So I'm there minding my business and these guys come around the corner. And um, one of them spit on me. Oh, that's hands. That's yeah. hands. You yeah. get hands. You know, believe it or not, that wasn't the first time that happened. You know, somebody actually spit in my food. They blew their nose in a burger of, that I was going to eat. Thankfully, something told me to check the burger, and I didn't, and I, I didn't eat it, but I almost did. But um, uh, he spit on me, and I don't know, something in me just made me act, made me actually act on some of my impulses. So. I reached out and I could and I wasn't trying to punch him, but it was like my fist just started thinking on its own. I reached (laughs) out and I just punched him in the face. And so his friends came around the corner and it was three of them and it was just one of me. So they jumped me and I'm pushing them off and I'm getting punched. So I pick up a rock and I bash one of them in his head and I could sense myself losing control. You know, I don't know if anybody's into Dragon Ball Z. It's kind of like Gohan. You know, he doesn't want to uh, uh, lose control. So I could sense myself losing control. But the problem, the scary thing is I liked it. So I kept bashing him in the head with the rock. And I saw something shiny on the ground. And I started to pick pick up, pick it up. It was a piece of metal. And I figured it was sharp. And I, I was planning on stabbing uh, him and the rest of his guys. So another one, a guy that went to school with me, his name is, um, I can't remember his last name, but his first name is Anthony. Anthony Mack, I believe, came around the corner and saw me getting jumped. And Anthony wasn't friends with me. He just knew me from school. So he uh, started pushing some of the other guys off and told them to leave me alone. And the guy that I had stabbed with the uh, metal and I beat in the face with the rock was on the ground bleeding really bad. And some police officers who I guess were patrolling the place came around and uh, they came running over and they snatched me up because I'm standing there holding the rock and everything. And I got blood on me and there's blood on him. So, you know, uh, they put me in the back of the car and they were going to charge me with assault, uh, assault with it was first degree assault and some other stuff. But that was the first time I got in trouble. That's crazy. Uh, Cause like, I know you now and that doesn't seem like you, but also like, as you're telling me it, I'm like, okay, I, like I, I respect it because I hate when people. I was always told you never know how someone's going to react, so just mm-hmm. leave people alone. Like I try, I try not to pick on people, mess with them because they, they could just be having a bad day, and then you get cracked up against the head. So like, I don't feel sorry for that dude. He shouldn't have been messing with you. 
<laughs> so tell me, uh, so what you alluded to getting in trouble more, uh, let's talk about that. And then eventually I want to get back into what helped you change. Right. So let's let's start out with some of the other trouble you got into and what you were thinking when you got in trouble. So the first time, like, what was your emotional state when you got in trouble and you were in the back of the cop car? I was thinking if I get if I do this at school and I get in trouble, they're going to try to suspend me. But I'm going to tell my mom, no matter what the reason is for you being called to the school or called to a police uh, uh, squad or whatever is because um, I'm doing it in self-defense. No matter what they tell you, understand that I would not bother anybody unless they were bothering me first. So it's always going to be self-defense. Did you ever break that rule? No, okay. I never did. I never did. I never did. Well, yeah, I never did. I never did. And so you were you were thinking it was going to be in self-defense. You talked about getting in trouble more. That was the first time. Let's talk about some of the other times. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of it started off with just fights. Most of them were um, fights uh, because I started fighting people who weren't really gang affiliated, you know, so they would uh, bother me and um, I would uh, I would have to defend myself. But none of them went to school with me. I didn't want to do that at school because I thought it was too dangerous. Do you think that you are looking for for action? So you know how, like, sometimes you can be walking down the street and someone step on your toe, and you can decide. They didn't say, excuse me. You can decide to, like, just keep walking. Or you say, hey, man, say excuse me. And that's, like, two different mindsets. Right. Um, do you think you were ready and looking for it? Like, you didn't start it, but if someone was to hand you a plate, you were ready to go. Like, I don't think I was looking for violence or looking for a fight. I think that... And I don't think I was actively doing that. However, I think that 70 percent of my mind was totally against that and uh, thinking, keep to yourself and nobody bothers you. Nobody will bother you. You don't bother anybody else. But 30 percent of me was actually hoping for an excuse to really hurt somebody. And I mean, like, I don't mean just punch somebody. I mean, put somebody in the ground. So. Where did you think that mind state came from? I had a lot of hatred, you know. It was just anger. It was a lot of anger. I had um, uh, uh, the way I was getting treated at school, feeling like I was marginalized. I couldn't do anything. Uh, I couldn't do anything about it. I didn't really have anybody at home to talk to. My brother, he was younger than me, so I didn't think he could really understand. My mom, the only thing she would say when I would talk to her about stuff is, well, um, you just walk away. <laughs> you just walk <laughs> that, away. That and... <laughs> makes so much sense. You know what? Ma? Thank you for that advice. Yes. So I, I thought she was kind of useless because she would just say walk away and uh, tell me stuff like you never hit a girl. A man never hits a woman. A boy never hits a girl. And, and I would go to school and I would see girls who were in gangs beating up boys. So stuff like that didn't make sense to me. I, I once saw... This girl, she was in a gang, man. She got into a fight with a guy. The first thing she did was kick him in his crotch, and he dropped like a rock. Then she ran his pockets. They stole all <laughs> of his money, took his watches and everything. See, so, people who say they have never seen a girl that can fight. Like, there were, dude, there were girls in my high school that I would not. I was like, please just leave me alone. Because <laughs> they had some hands, man. Like, yeah beating up dudes and i'm like you i'm sorry you've never you've never seen a woman that could fight if you say that 
Don't ever hit a girl. You've never yeah. seen a woman that can fight then. Right? Yeah, and see, I think that's the absence of common sense. And um, for some reason, as uh, people, as humans, we have, we are intent on outsmarting our natural design and outsmarting our, our natural scientific makeup. Whether you believe the natural design is God or uh, evolution or whatever, we want to just outsmart it and make our own way so much that we end up looking foolish because we lose sight of common sense. You can't jazz up two plus two equals four. You can try to put some algebraic equation on it, but look, yo, two plus two is still just four. Yeah, getting slapped hurts. Like I'm sorry, <laughs> I've been slapped before. I just <laughs> jump like I can't calm down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so um, so your trouble would you say was just mostly around fights, basically? It started off with anger and getting bullied and then uh, getting into smaller fights and then it grew into uh, larger fights then it grew into um watching a lot of uh movies with violence in them by myself and just becoming really dark and isolated and then uh gravitating towards other people who were also dark and isolated who wanted to act more on that violence and commit crimes did you ever commit a crime? Yes. I like what? Armed robbery. Okay. Oh, I did. I was not expecting that. What can you tell me about that or is is did you get in trouble for it? Thankfully, I was not in it long enough to get caught. Okay. You know, um where it's Has funny. It been, what's the statute of limitations? Has <laughs> it been I can look that up for you if you don't want to talk about it. No, it's it's okay cuz I don't think um I don't think I'm I'm here. I'll be held accountable for it. You know, but I believe in God, so I think um, my Creator will hold me accountable for it. But uh, I don't think the police can trace anything to me. But you just gotta have uh, a good talk game when you see Jesus. Like yeah. whenever I'm at the pearly gates, I'm have to do a lot of talking to get in. I'm like, look, God, I was going through a rough patch. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, uh, what happened was, um, you know, I just I met some other guys who were feeling the way I felt. And I got into it. I actually got into another fight at school. This was a bigger fight with a guy who um, we got into a little skirmish and he swore that he would get his brothers and they would come after me. And they knew where I lived. They knew who my family was. And I was concerned about my brother's well-being. But a friend of mine who is also a Muslim and uh, he happened to be going to school there with me. And um, I this was some positivity that came out of that. When I got into that fight, I could see them. It was two other guys start to take off their glasses and put their book bags down and roll up their sleeves. And I realized they were coming to get in, jump into the fight to help me. But one of them, you know, he started making some bad decisions later on and he got into some um, uh, some uh, violence and stuff like that. But he recruited me into pulling off some uh, jobs with them, you know, and, and at first I didn't really uh, want to do it, but I I didn't have much in the way of money. And there were some things I wanted that did cost money. So I told myself, well, I can't sell drugs. And this is how I would justify it to myself. I'm not going to sell drugs because drugs poison the community. They destroy lives and they poison the community. I'll just rob from my community. So <laughs> that's a lot nicer. <laughs> uh, you're taking stuff from people that they probably don't need. Like they may not need it. I, I can understand that. Um so you started committing armed robbery. So which means, did you ever meet anybody when you were robbing them, or did you rob people in person? Or 
I didn't meet any celebrities, although no, I'm talking about like, did you rob actual people or were you going into houses and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, these were people. Okay. It started off with breaking and entering, and then it got into actual people. Hey man, I'm gonna be honest with you. If I could like do what you did, because now you're like you're good. Everyone like respects you. So you had your little armed robbery. I played so much Grand Theft Auto that I just want to do one job. I want someone to come <laughs> to me and be like, "Hey man, I got a thousand dollars for you to pull off this robbery job." <laughs> if I if I could have known, I would have got away with it and been like, "You, yeah, I might have pulled a couple jobs." So like, yeah, yeah. Completed a couple missions on Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't in it, thankfully, long enough to turn into a hardened criminal. <laughs> I just put a, a tippy toe in it for a little bit, and then I got out. Could someone come to you now and be like, well, if we, 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 well Keith, we've heard about you. Um, we heard about your past. We got a job for you. Just one more job. Just get in and out. Would you do it? No. Okay. No, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I'm, I'm a completely different person now, and and – the experiences that I went through with that are part of what make me who I am today and a much better person. What's it like? This is just a, a fan question. What's it like to rob someone? Like, is your adrenaline high? Are you chilling? Like, it's exhilarating. What mind state are you in? Like, do you listen to DMX before you go? Like, yeah, uh, that does help. It <laughs> <laughs> definitely helps. It's scary if um, the first few times but the reason why it can it grows into being exhilarating is just the power of the gun you know um, I understand the appeal of guns the heft you know the way it feels in your hand just the power you knowing that you point this at someone they're willing to do whatever you say literally whatever you say what's your robbery music like did you have a pump up song that you listened to before you robbed someone I actually didn't have a song because I was so I was so terrified by what I was um, <laughs> going to do, you know, that I was thinking more about should I be doing this? Um, there's still time to back out. Should I be doing this? But the guys who were more experienced than me, they did have robbery songs at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that the soundtracks for every uh, robbery I participated in <laughs> always seemed to be um, some Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, they would have on some um, some Scarface. People would have on oh, some... Oh, they'd watch the movie beforehand? Or well, the rapper Scarface. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, but a lot of Wu-Tang Clan. It was a lot of grimy New York mid-90s rap songs on. It, or that kind of thing, or either some really down south UGK and Pimp C. Uh, they had a, po- a song called A Pocket Full of Stones, which was a pocket full of crack rocks <laughs> that we're going to distribute <laughs> in the community. Hey, man, if you're going to rob, you should have your soundtrack. Like, yeah. just be like a basketball player walking into the arena with headphones on, just vibing yeah. out before you before you yeah. rob someone. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I see that. Um, so did you have it? What was your wake-up call? My wake-up call was I got asked to go on a job by a friend of mine. He's very close to me. You know, he used to uh, cut my hair. You know, he was actually the one of the guys in, who was coming to my defense when I got into that fight with the other guy at school who had about 10 brothers, who and they all threatened to come after me and my one brother. But uh, him, he got involved with some really bad people, and they invited me to come along for a job with them. And I was at this time, I had I already. I love how you call it a job. I like it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> or uh, the other word, do a bid, okay. you know, or hit a lick. 
<laughs> so uh, mission, <laughs> yes, Grand Theft Auto mission. So you know they were still out there in their life, and I noticed that a lot of the guys who I was I was growing up with, a few of them had been in, were in prison already at this time for drug offenses and other things. But and you were in high school at this time. I just want to clarify, right? I was in high school when I started. Um, I was when did I start? I started in the I started in the eleventh grade when I started doing this, and but this last one was when I had actually uh, graduated from high school. Okay. It was the summer after my uh, senior year. And he invited me to come along with them on this job because he said it's going to be, you know, they're going to have some money. So the the strategy was rob people as they're coming out of shows. And some of us, some of the people in the group were rappers. And they felt like, all right, we'll just rob the people who paid to get into our shows you know, a little open mics or whatever, so we get paid twice, or, <laughs> <laughs> or rob, rob people. I should be laughing. <laughs> rob people who are going to um, shows in downtown Columbia in this little Vista area where we have the uh, Carolina Coliseum concerts and stuff like that. You know, it was never any rob a little mom and pop store or something like that. So they uh, they said, all right, we're gonna go rob somebody there and i said i know that's way too many cops man i mean there's a reason why people down here have money it's because this is where the people who have money the affluent people are and so they decided to go rob a little convenience store and um I, they told me to think about it and i thought about it and i was actually going off to college i, I was going to go try to get a college education and i'm thinking to myself you know i have a chance to be somebody totally new at this school, I had already gone to um, uh, summer orientation and I met some people at the school and I, and I got a taste of what it's like to be in college and I loved it. I said, this is great. I'm going to completely transform myself into somebody who I always admire, somebody who's cool, somebody who's popular. I'm going to turn myself into A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell. Because <laughs> that's going to be great, right? So this is what I'm telling myself. I, don't, I shouldn't be doing these kind of things anymore. So I decided not to go with them. And then when I went off to school, I come back a few months later on and my mom tells me that the guy who I knew, my friend, was arrested and going to be standing trial for murder. Because apparently uh, when they went to rob the store, somebody shot the store clerk. And if anybody dies during the commission of a felony, that's an automatic murder one charge. So if somebody breaks into your house and somebody and let's say a family member of yours has a heart attack. You know, they're going to charge the person who broke into your house with uh, murder one because they feel like the stress caused that heart attack. So uh, he said he didn't pull the trigger. But the way these things go, the cops put you into separate rooms and say somebody's taking this charge. So who's it going to be? The other two guys pointed the finger and said he did it. He, you know, tells me he did not. And I think about that and I thought, you know, I could have been with them when they did that. You know, I was really considering going to do that with them. But uh, thankfully, I didn't. And that's when I said, all right, I'm done with that. Was it like a higher calling that told you not to go? You talked about being apprehensive before Mm -hmm. in some of your jobs. Like everybody's listening to music and you're in the background in your head being apprehensive. What made you listen to that voice this time? I started getting more serious about my uh, my faith. In my way of life, you know, which is Islam. And I started 
I came into some greater a greater understanding of Islam and the practice of it and how to really uh, be Muslim. Because Muslim, the definition of the word Muslim is one who submits to the will of God. So to be Muslim means you just submit. You know, actually a baby is Muslim because a baby doesn't know anything. It just exists. And that's really submission to the the creator of the baby. So I started thinking more about that and I started coming into a greater understanding of Islam and uh, pra- proper practice of being Muslim. And um, when I, coming into that understanding really helped me see, you know, stealing from people is not right. You know, stealing from people is wrong, not just because the police say it's wrong, but because your uh, creator says it's wrong or your natural design says it's wrong and you will be held accountable for that. So I started thinking about that. I started thinking about what could happen, the embarrassment I would have with my mother if she finds out. And I really started thinking about my grandparents because, you know, for all intents and purposes, my granddad was my dad. I started thinking about his reaction if he found out about what I was doing. And then I also started thinking about all these new girls that I was going to be exposed to in college. Women and help. Yes. Yes. You know, it's what's funny. It is a little side story. Women, you know, you, you just said women help. Women could be the deciding factor in a lot of things. I hated my name growing up. I hated my name when my mother was pregnant with my little sister. I told her we ought to name her something simple like Mary or Susan or something like mm-hmm. that because I don't want her to go through what I went through with people calling me Waffle and people calling my brother a funny name. I don't want that for her. I hated my name. Then I go off to a uh, freshman orientation, <laughs> get in the elevator, a girl named Nigel Fair, you know, she's married now. I still tell him, talk to her and I tell her about this, gets on the elevator with me, asks me who I am and I say Wafik and she says, oh, I like that name. That's a really <laughs> cute name. And then she gets off the elevator. I get home and tell my mom, hey, mom, I like my name now. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm going to keep it. <laughs> it changed everything. Man, a woman's compliments can change your whole life. Like, <laughs> I like the fact that you're nerdy and smart. What? I'm, I'm going to embrace this. <laughs> <laughs> I try to hide this my whole life. Yes, yes. I, I think I'll keep that Zuckerberg last name now. Exactly. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, Talk to me about like what it's like to start changing your life because it's not an overnight thing. Like you don't wake up and like I'm I'm Wafik who doesn't get angry, who doesn't get into fight. Like that doesn't happen like overnight. Mm -hmm. So talk about the process of changing who you are. It is indeed that it's a process. So I decide not to participate in this armed robbery, pointing another gun at another person, and it's a very difficult thing to bring yourself to do that. You know, I decided I'm not going to do that, but I didn't turn into a saint overnight just because I decided that uh, it still took me a few more bumps to really completely stop some negative activity. You know, it, it was just that from then on, I really meant well. And I, <laughs> I really thought long and hard about doing something before I did whatever it is that was wrong, but I still messed up. So I went through a few more uh, bumps and bruises. You know, I actually uh, go off to college and then um, somebody, you know, uh, shows me how easy it is to uh, um, to steal from certain businesses. So I say, all right, hmm, this is pretty easy. You know, should I really be doing this? I said, uh, well, it's not armed robbery, so I'm pointed <laughs> in the right direction. <laughs> this is a step below armed robbery, so I'm on the right track. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, I, I got into 
some um, retail stealing from retail businesses. Oh, they're rich anyway. That's exactly what I told myself. You know, I told myself (laughs) they're rich anyway. I'm not going to bootleg an album by Common Uh or uh, Outkast because I want them to get that album sale. But Jay-Z, yeah, I'll bootleg his stuff all day. Um, No one should be arrested for stealing from Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. No one. Well, I was. So, <laughs> oh, you stole from Walmart? <laughs> well, no, it wasn't Walmart. It was a, uh, another store. It was uh, a rack room shoes. Yeah, someone showed me how easy it is to uh, go try on the shoes and then put your old shoes in the box. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and, and me being the enterprising person I was, uh, just doing it one time wasn't enough for me. I thought, you know, why don't I form a crew? And then we can take over this whole city. <laughs> you're, you're an entrepreneur, man. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing that for a little bit. Hit up a few. And it was always during the summertime when I was away from school, you know, bored. Plus, I wanted to get some new stuff for the new school year. So, you know, I was doing that. Uh, I got arrested one time when I went into a rack room of shoes. I decided to pull a solo mission by myself and I uh, went into a rack room of shoes. And I guess they had been prepped for it because... Uh, this has happened a few other times. So I uh, put my old shoes in a box and then I walked out with the new shoes on my feet. And for some reason, I don't know, I just didn't walk as fast as I normally would have. I didn't flat out run. But one of the guys came in out behind me and um, started calling me back. So <laughs> I happened to just go back in the store. I'm breaking all types of uh, criminal rules here. Oh, yeah. You, went, <laughs> you were supposed to be gone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. I think back on it, man, and this, I don't know, part of me maybe wanted to get caught because I was tired of doing that. So I go back into the store and, um, you know, they, they tell me they're calling the police and whatnot. And then I got arrested for that. But um, that happened and I got out for that. And, and uh, you know, it happened uh, three times. You know, I got arrested for doing that, but I just wouldn't stop for some reason. But then I, I gradually weaned myself off of it because I said, you know, I don't need to be doing this. You know, I don't need to uh, steal like this. This isn't cool. I wouldn't want anybody stealing from me. So what was your final time, like, stealing or getting in trouble? The final time was I was in school, and we did something at school. We, um, <laughs> Me and a few other guys, we broke into the the student dining area. Not the cafeteria, but it was the student dining area. We were stealing some food out of that because we were uh, hung- we were hungry, didn't have a lot of money, and we just wanted more. So we started taking some items from there, and uh, that was the final one. Uh, we got caught, and they did call the police, and we did get arrested. And did you you didn't do any time for any of this, or is it like slaps on the wrist, or were you getting in trouble? Well, that one was going to be some real time because I think they looked at my record and they decided, all right, this is um, this is a repeated offense. So this one's going to be real time. The first couple times it was just a slap on the wrist, but that one was going to be facing a real time. They um, they were telling me, uh, I believe it was the one of the charges carried a 90 day sentence. It was um, grand larceny was one of the charges. And they were talking about 90 days. Another one, they were talking about a minimum sentence of a year. And um, then um, they were asking me if I knew about any other crimes in the area and stuff like that. And I'm saying, I don't know anything about any of that stuff, you know. 
So they would make trying to offer me deals and stuff like that. They were telling me, we think you may be connected with some other people operating in the area. And I'm like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> that was, and I could sense that it was getting serious because they're asking me about crimes other people are doing and not just me. So that's when I realized, all right, okay, now I'm starting to get a little too Nino Brownish. (laughs) I don't want to turn into a a crime lord here. This was just, if I wanted to do that, I would have, you know, stuck with too much rap music at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I do not have the money that they have to get themselves out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So that was the final time for me. Did you end up doing hard time? Well, they were telling me, we they settled on um a 90 day sentence and this was going to be while I was in school so they took me to the uh, i guess it's the county jail you know and I'm I'm in there which I had been in there before so I wasn't too intimidated mm-hmm. so they put me in the county jail unlike my first time which was hilarious but they put me in there and uh you know I'm getting to know some of the people and I somebody told me about how if you decide to take that 90 day sentence you can actually serve just 30 days or something if you want to do the whole bid at one time, you know, uh, some other stuff. But um, I, I talked it over with one of the uh, public defenders or something, and they said, yeah, we can get it busted down to just 30 days in jail while I'm in school. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that's easy. I could do 30 days times that's 30 days. That's nothing. I would have been prepared to do the 90, but 30 was easy. My mom was not having any of it. You know, she was like, I'm going to pay this money to get you out. But this is the last time I'm not coming down here again for this. And uh, you got to do something different. I'm embarrassed by this. Your grandparents are embarrassed. This is not good. So, you know, she gave me this really strong lecture and was talking to me about um, family ties and talking to me about how not just that I, I should know better because of how she raised me, but I should know better because of the tenets of my faith uh, are explicitly against the things that I was doing. What's it like to let people down? How does that feel? Man, that sucks, man. You know, it's not cool. It's not cool, especially the people who were there for you for so long. You know, I actually, I wasn't that bothered. I wasn't as bothered with letting my mother down as I was my grandparents. You know, my grandparents, my mother and I, we would, our relationship would sometimes get a little rocky. But my grandparents were always there. You know, they were always in my corner. They always had my back. Anytime we needed a car, my mother's car would break down. Two weeks later, my granddad has a new car. So they were everything to me. So letting them down was my biggest fear. And my mother did a good job of keeping some of the things that I was doing under wraps. But she told me the last time I'm going to tell your grandparents, that's that really impacted me. Yeah, it sucks letting people down. So when you were finally done, you have to cut people off. Like, you know, when you're changing who you are, you have to cut down. You got to cut off the people that are holding you back. Did you have to do that? And if so, what was that like? Like, was it just like to the left, to the left, Beyonce style? Or was it tough for you? It wasn't as tough for me as I thought it would be because I I could see the negativity in them. It was like I had taken a step outside of myself to look at myself. So for for the first time I could really see how, how the behavior that we were engaging in was turning us into losers. I could see how these guys are going to end up 
with nothing by the time we turn 25. They're not they're going to be living with women, girlfriends that they've knocked up several times just to have a place to stay. And I could really see the end game. I could see the result before it happened. And I said, I don't want to end up like that. They started to look uncool to me that. So it wasn't as hard to let a lot of those guys go. Is that how what advice you would give to someone who has to let some people go? Like look outside of yourself and think about the future like you did? Yeah, I would. I would give that advice. Look outside of yourself and think about the future. And I know the severity with which uh, letting somebody go hits, it varies from person to person. So my situation may not be the same as somebody else. It may not be as easy for them to let somebody go. So I would also tell them, you need to think about yourself. Letting this guy go, I know he had your back through at this point in time, but he's also going to do this, which is going to impact you right now. You are going to have to do this time, not him. You are going to have to do this time, and it is going to affect your children if you have children or your family. Think about yourself, because at the end of the day, we were born into the world unless we were a twin, born into the world alone, and we're going to die by ourselves. So you need to think about yourself. Okay. Uh, so tell me, um, now you're the guy who you are now. Like, you laugh, you're on stage a lot, um, you're a comedian, you write, you do sketch. Um, so tell me, how did this come about? Like, because it's just so far from where the person you're describing, and we've spent like 45 minutes talking about that version of Waqib. I, I've probably been butchering your name. <laughs> yeah, off. I'm sitting here thinking, should I ask who is Waqib? Uh, no, no, nah, nah, correct me, dude. Correct <laughs> uh, me. Wafik Zarif with a Wafik. Z in Zarif. Oh, I keep calling you Wafik. Okay, Wafik. Mm-hmm. All right, there we go. Wafik, correct me, dude. Like, I have no problem. I want to get your name right. Wafik. So uh, tell me, how did you become this version of Wafik? One of the best things to happen to me was I moved. You know, we moved out of the town we were living in and we moved into the next town over, which was closer to the capital city. And it was a completely different school district. This school district had the best of everything. It was District 2 in Columbia, South Carolina. We had TVs in every classroom that told time. They were like clocks that were amazing. Was this in college or? Uh, This was in high school. Okay. So I got into a completely different environment. Now, I was still tiptoeing back over to where I was a little bit, but um, this is what started me uh, down the uh, path of um, recovery. Your mind state was changing. Yeah. Okay. And this is how I also got into comedy. Uh, I started, went into a completely different school, so I'm around new people. And on the first day of school, um, we're in class, and the teacher's doing the role. And uh, so he was calling my name, and he was struggling with my name. And I said, um, it's pronounced Denzel Washington. <laughs> he, That's a good one. Yeah, and he, uh, and he laughed. And then some of the other girls in the class started laughing. And I noticed that when I said something funny, I got attention from the pretty girls, which I had never gotten before. So I decided, hey, let me just keep this up. And then it goes from the pretty girls to the uh, athletes. So I said, I'm thinking, all right, let me just keep this up. Then it goes from the pretty girls to the athletes to the real popular people. Then I say, all right, um, okay, apparently I have a, a certain wit that I didn't uh, really know before. And, you know, I would say things that would make people laugh or and I would uh, people would say, 
yeah, that's crazy. I bet you um, won't do this. Like, who would do that? That's nuts. Go streaking? <laughs> that's crazy. And I'm thinking, all right, we're going streaking. Let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I got into uh, comedy. And then you continued on through college and after college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started, I realized. What's your degree in, by the way? Mass communications. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, just wondering. I might need you to help me with marketing. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I got into the uh, to, I got into a sense of comedy when I was in high school. It was my senior year. That's when that stuff started happening, and then I carried it over into college. Uh, jokes would just come easy to me. I could find the humor in things uh, faster than most people could. And um, I started watching. I'd always been a big fan of In Living Color and the the Wayans Family, Saturday Night Live. I would listen to uh, some old CD, not CDs, but records my dad had of Richard Pryor stuff. And then I went off to college and just being funny just seemed natural. Not for the sake of being a clown. It just seemed natural for me to say something witty after somebody else said something and it would just make everybody feel good and it would make me feel good so i said this is this is really good to do then uh, one of my friends told me hey um there's this improv class they're teaching as a college credit it was an improv class through the uh, theater department and he said it's just like in living color man you know (laughs) you should do that you'd be great and he was a theater major so i said well i guess you would know and sometimes he and i would go into public places around campus like the uh, line of subway in the uh, student union and we would start these these bits where we would talk to each other in the style of two revolutionary black men <laughs> so we people would be in front of us waiting to get this sandwich and i'd be like yeah so my brother what we need to understand is that the mayonnaise is a representation of the white man and the spicy brown mustard is a representation of the black man and then we see the unity that they have on this sandwich bread and the deliciousness that comes from that you see that comes from that is the beauty of life when the white and the black man get together my brother and then he would come back with no no I don't know CC what you got yeah yeah that's right that's right that's right that's right but dig this right what you also need to understand is that you cannot underestimate the power of the balsamic vinaigrette because that's a representation of the Italian. Then you got to bring in the angry black guy that hates all white people. No, the fact that there is actually mayonnaise for all sandwiches lets them know that they dominate us and I'm not going to allow for it is why that's why I don't like Miracle Whip. <laughs> the people in the subway people were looking at us like we were crazy. Like what in the world is going on? So he told me to get into that improv class. So I got into the improv class and it was great. They taught us about um, yes ending and taught us some concepts that I didn't have any real understanding about because I, I did I wasn't serious about doing improv until over a decade later. And then um, so I just got into the class for the easy A and for the opportunity to not do any work <laughs> and uh, just to be funny. And so I, I got into that class. I did pretty well. And there were some theater majors in the class who took theater very seriously. And they told me about some plays and some internships uh, with some Broadway musicals and stuff like that. And um, and I said I would look at the paperwork and it would say and it would say stuff like theater major this theater major that. And they were inviting me to join this theater fraternity. And I'm thinking, um. I'm not a theater major. This uh, And I would say, this says for theater majors. And they say, well, yeah, I mean, we're all theater majors, right? They thought that I was a theater major <laughs> by the work that I was doing in this improv class. And I said, hmm, 
maybe I am pretty good at this. I should stick with it. Okay, and and here you are, um, and 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 now you're funny, and now you've grown into the person you are today. Um, how long have you been doing improv at this point? I've been over at Comedy Works since 2009. I, oh yeah, I told you I saw you years ago, like when yeah. we first met. I remember that. Uh, yeah, I was I like, uh, I we didn't know each other at the time, but I was on a date because Comedy Works used to be. They're right on um, on Peach Street. Yeah, Peach Street, and I was living in Raleigh, and that was my like comedy. That was like my date spot. Like you take a girl there, she gets a little laughs, and then she's feeling good, you feeling good. And yes, yes. Yeah. I, I remember. I, that. I need to shake your hand because you helped me out a lot <laughs> back in the day. I remember mm-hmm. that. I remember that date you were on because yeah. I I never forget a face. Okay. I didn't know your name until I came over here at the uh, the the place that used to be right down the street. And, um, you know, that's where I got your name. But I remember your face then. I, I used to sit and I was sitting in the back on the – y'all had the bleachers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We just sit on the bleachers because we were not facing everybody. No one could yeah. see. And it was just like intimate because a lot of people didn't sit on the bleachers. I took many a date to Comedy Works because as a member, I got in free and I could bring a comp with me. So it was free entertainment for a date. It was great. You know, Bernie helped me out. Bernie is a guy that works on Comedy Works. He would let me get in free sometimes. So shout out to Bernie <laughs> for helping with my dates as well. <laughs> shout out to Bernie. Yeah, he helped the brother out. Um, so is there anything else you would like to talk about as far as, like, mistakes? Or do you, are you ready to go to the next segment? I would say the word empathy You know, empathy is the understanding of somebody else's situation. Everything that I went through from the time I was in elementary school and I was in the sixth grade and Chandra Hammonds, just because he wanted to, walked up to me and slapped me on the back of the head with three ebony magazines rolled (laughs) up together and I blacked out. You know, um, and it was. I'm sorry I laughed at you blacking out. <laughs> I blacked out. You know, um, everything from that time and me blacking out and just waking up and just feeling helpless like there was nothing I could do about it, all the way up to me, you know, uh, participating in armed robbery, going to jail, then um, coming out of college and uh, leading me up to where I am now. All that helped me learn empathy. And it helped me understand other people's situations. So whenever I go into a room, I always like to engage with everybody there, especially the people who are not engaging, the people who are off in a corner by themselves. I always like to find the unpopular kid when I go into different places because I could relate to that person. I understand what that person is going through. So I like to bring that person into the fold and make them feel like they have a place to make them feel the opposite of marginalized, to make them feel like they are wanted and they're contributing to the whole. So everything that I went through, and that's the best thing that came out of my um, situations with being bullied and situations with violence is that it taught me the value of empathy and how to, bring other people into the group and make them feel like they are contributing. Is that what you think the world is missing? Yes. Okay. Without a doubt. So I have this segment that I call unsolicited advice. And basically what I do is I ask people, I've scoured the internet and gotten a bunch of different questions from things, people who are going through problems. Uh, I want you to answer their questions and give them your advice based off some of the stuff that you've done. Okay. Okay. 
what can I learn right now in 30 minutes that will make my life that will be useful for the rest of my life? So what could I learn right now in like the next 30 minutes that would change my life? How to properly put on a condom. I think that is a really good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Look, I look, I I went to a class, it taught me. I didn't know how to I was doing it wrong. I didn't know that at first. But how to put properly put on a condom is a big one. That is that's eighteen. That's an eighteen year mistake, at least. And that's if you're a bad father, like you're for average father. Technically, if you want to be good, it's it's a lifelong mistake. Like yes. You can drop the ball after eighteen years, but it's if you want to be a good dad, it's at least a life. You're you're you've made a mistake for the rest of your life. And if you don't have a father, who where do you learn that from? You learn it from your boys. You learn it from the street, right? Yeah. And who are they learning it from if they don't have a father, right? So uh, did you know? I'm sure you know now, but you're supposed to leave some room at the tip. For I the had to learn that. I, I I had to learn that the hard way. I, I didn't know that. How many guys burst condoms because they have them pulled all the way on? Next thing you know, the girl is pregnant. And it's a mistake that you can't call a mistake after. Is born like it's like you have, you have to pretend you have to be like oh no like it was a gift from God yeah. like this is what I really wanted you know yeah I'm 16 but this is what I really wanted yeah yeah oh yeah. I have I have no money saved up but th- you have to lie to everybody yeah. come here you little broken condom baby uh, oh. I don't even like your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even stand being in the same room with her, but no, no, no. Oh. I, I wanted you so yes. much. Yes, you can't even. That's what. That's probably what messes with people up. They can't even admit that it's a mistake. Oh, and it is indeed a mistake. <laughs> um. Okay. What is uh, life's biggest trap that people fall into? Life's biggest trap that people fall into is greed. That's the biggest trap people fall into. You know, I committed crimes because I wanted more than I was entitled to. The greed that was within me propelled me to point a gun at somebody and say, run your pockets. Give me everything you have. The greed that people have within us is compels folks to uh, do something that I was listening to in the uh, piece you were playing before we started the show, which was that I didn't know this apparently. The Palestinians are only entitled to um, what did he say? Three percent of the water. Oh, you know? I, I was uh, I was setting up. I wasn't listening to. The <laughs> I was interview. listening. I didn't know that. Oh, you know, really? the, they are only get three percent of the water there. Greed propels people to uh, marginalize their employees. You know, it becomes a numbers game where we don't want just more than you. We want everything. So greed has corporations cheating people out of money. You know, greed uh, does so many poor things. If it wasn't for greed, I think that not only on a grand scale would we probably all have affordable health care or we would all have um, all be living in very nice homes. But greed also ruins the family on on a smaller level. You know, greed in a family, a man it gives into his desires for more than one woman, you know, and I tell women all the time when they ask me, why does a man cheat? Because they'll see a guy like, um, I don't know, just throw, I'm throwing out a name here. They'll see a guy like Jay Z and, you know, I don't know if he did or if he didn't, but he may cheat on Beyonce with a woman that doesn't look as good as Beyonce. And they always ask me, why does a guy cheat with an ugly girl? She doesn't look as good as who he has. Well, I tell them, the only thing better than vagina is new vagina. 
So mm-hmm. the man gives in to that greed for more vagina, and that ruins the family structure. It does. You you just gotta you gotta shut it down. Like, uh, you can't even open the door. Like, I, I'll tell people, man. Like, once you're in a serious relationship, like I set up walls. Like I I try not to like go. I, like I'll try not to be alone with another one. Like just because I'm like you're opening doors. It's just that. That flirtatious check, uh, uh, text that you don't check immediately, mm-hmm. like say like, yo, don't send me that. I'm taken. Right. It, it, people think cheating is just like that. No, no, no. It, it's a gradual yeah. thing of unchecked. Right. Like, you. I mean, you. You just said a mouthful. Gradual unchecked.ness Flirtatiousness exactly. or whatever. And then it gets to the point where you're alone in a hotel room because you didn't check it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, next question what are things in life that do not matter things in life that do not matter number one the Kardashians thank you uh, that is number one on things in life that do not matter things in life that do not matter are things that do not affect your things that do not affect it's easy to say things that don't affect your life, but it goes deeper than that. I'm looking for the right word here. Things that do not affect your final outcome. Those are things that do not matter. So this life is nothing but sport and play. But, you know, if you believe, like I believe, you believe that there is more to this life, there's an afterlife, or you believe in heaven, or you believe in hell. If you're Christian, you're Jewish, or you're Muslim, even if you're atheist, things in life that don't affect your final outcome don't matter. You know, um, people, I work in a very uh, pressurized industry. You know, I, I work in commission sales right now. So going back to greed also, I see a lot of people cheat customers or uh, cheat other employees stealing sales. Then they lose their jobs. That's another way greed affects us. But when I was on the phone in my business, you know, dealing with a lot of customers, making sales, and I, people have a short shelf life in my business, my industry that I'm in, people would ask me, how do you stay so calm? You seem so cool, calm, and collected, talking on the phone, dealing with customers, dealing with um, management, beating us over the, our backs, demanding these high sales numbers. And I tell them that it's because, number one, I remember what it's like to be broke. I remember when I had $55 in my bank account and before I got this job. So um, I'm happy with the money I have. And number two, the biggest thing is I understand what matters. For me, the only thing that matters is my uh, my dean, my way of life of Islam, uh, and my place in that. And my place in that encompasses my family and how I operate and uh, pleasing my Lord and making sure I'm going to be all right. Stuff like um, how much money I have, stuff like um, uh, chasing women, stuff like pop culture, stuff like the Kardashians, all that stuff is just sport and play. When I'm dead, it won't really matter. So I try to remember what will matter after I'm dead. Anything that doesn't matter after you're dead doesn't matter right now. So don't lose sight of that. Don't get bogged into things that aren't a part of that group. Dude, that is, you just said a mouthful. So to wrap up, what I do is I let the people, I let you do a motivational speech. And I want you to act like either you're talking to your younger self or you're talking to a group of middle schoolers who, and you're a motivational speaker like Tony Robbins, Les Brown, something like that. I want you to give your motivational speech. I'm going to put some music on the, uh, on the, 
on for you to have your little background, and I want you to give it. And uh, you let me know when you're ready. And I want to hear Wafik, Wafik's motivational speech. I'm ready. Oh, you're ready? <clears throat> well, you're ready a little too early because I have to pull up <laughs> the music. Okay, uh, so I want to hear your motivational speech, and it'll start, and you'll have about a minute and a half on the clock. This life is not the end. There is more to this life than the moment you are in right now. You need to plan ahead and prepare yourself for what is to come, not 30 years, 40 years, 50 years down the line, but tomorrow. The decision you make right now is going to affect tomorrow. So if you're faced with the choice of, do I take this drug because it helps me escape from my present situation? Well, what about when the drug is gone? What are you gonna do then? This life is not just about you. Remember, other people are around you and how do you affect them? The decisions that you make for yourself can also affect them. Do you want to affect them in a negative way? Do you want to affect them in a neutral way because you just don't care? Or how about this? Affect them in a positive way. It's easy to affect people in a neutral way because you don't care and they're not you. You got to live your life. But what if you could make them better? When you make other people better, that makes you great because they remember you and it gives you the power to change your environment and uplift it into something greater that can make us all live well. Was that a minute or do I have more time? Oh, you could have kept going. There we go. That is Wafik's motivational speech. Uh, We went a, a little longer than I anticipated. Uh, so let's wrap up by just telling the people what you got going on. Also, squeeze the tip. You got to keep the reservoir. We always leave squeeze the reservoir the t- tip because that's important. You don't want the condom to break. Uh, <laughs> You're preventing babies, man. You're preventing babies. <laughs> <laughs> no more mistake, broken condom babies. Uh, hey, All right. Well, you know, I'm at Comedy Works. You can always catch me at Comedy Works in Raleigh on Hillsborough Street, right across the street from Meredith College. I'm a, you can also catch me on social media and on the airwaves. I'm a part, I'm one quarter of the Good Old Boys radio show, uh, the, which airs on thegoodoldboys.net, thegoodoldboys.net, and we spell old O-L-E. Check us out. Listen to all of our shows. We got a lot of great entertaining shows on there. And uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook as the G-O-B Radio Network. Everything I have going on, you can be you can catch it on thegoodoldboys.net. That was a mouthful, man. You got a lot going on. And we hope to keep hearing from you maybe in five years or so after, you know, you progress a little bit more. We can see how you're doing. We can have you back on the show. Yes. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. I, I heard you were going to be a very interesting interview, and you did not disappoint. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. I mean, I think it's great what you're doing here. You're giving people a great opportunity to um, get things off their chest and do event, and at the same time up, uplift people around them who can help. Uh, this is brilliant, man. I mean, I can't speak highly enough for what you are doing right here with this radio program. Thank I, you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, we're going to shake hands, and with that, that is the end. I got to get the music ready so I can sound professional. You just blessed me by having me here. 
Well, y'all, that was this week's episode of Humor and Mistakes on 103.5 FM. Uh, We went a little long today, but we will be back on next week at 5 o'clock. And uh, we will see you next week. I stuttered my words because I was going to tell y'all that I have a guest, but I don't. Actually, we're taking a hiatus next week, so I just lied to you. But don't lie, guys. We will not be on next week, but y'all have a good week. And uh, remember, everybody makes mistakes, but it's okay.